What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's Monday, May 3rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez from the Daily Dive podcast in Los Angeles, and this is Reopening America. The coronavirus pandemic is still ongoing, but we have gotten parts of it under control. Vaccines are being administered, and thanks to the work of various countries, we have treatments that can help people spare some of the most severe infections. One such example is the UK. Not so much a pandemic success story, but their COVID-19 trials were. Through their recovery trial project, they were able to mobilize a massive clinical trial that tested various treatments and ultimately found a cheap and widely used steroid that became key in treating the virus. And it saved an estimated 1 million lives worldwide. Dylan Scott, senior correspondent at Vox, joins us for more. Thanks for joining us, Dylan. Thanks for having me. There at Vox, right now, you guys have a series going on. It's called The Pandemic Playbook. And you're exploring successes and setbacks of countries around the world in combating COVID-19. And now that we kind of have this moment to breathe a little bit, now that more vaccines are getting out there and uh, in some parts, cases are going down, you know, it's a great opportunity to look back at kind of how we got here. Because I remember at the peak of the pandemic, we're trying to figure out how to control this Really, we were throwing everything at we could as as far as treatments go. Uh, we were throwing everything everything we could at COVID to see what would work. And the UK is a particular success story with this in the form of their recovery trials. The way their national health system is set up, they were able to get a lot of hospitals on board with this and start testing out different treatments to see what would work. And they had two big successes in uh, dexamethasone, which is the steroid that is widely available and used. And then the other one, which I know I'm going to butcher the name, is Tocilizumab, I want to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I can't do any better than yeah. that. So, uh, so, Dylan, tell us a little bit about how the UK really stepped up with this program and helped us find some of these treatments. Yeah. So thank you for introducing the project. And the idea that we had behind it was it'd be really hard to try to look around the world and figure out who had the best 
overall COVID-19 response? Because like, how, how would you really measure that? And so what we decided to do instead was look at countries that had excelled in a particular way. And the UK, I think, is a good example of this because like they have actually, in a plenty of ways, they have struggled during the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, they have nearly as high per capita deaths and cases as any country in the world, but they have really stood out in medical research and specifically in researching potential COVID-19 treatments. So like you say, you know, last spring, nobody knew would work on COVID-19. This was a totally new disease. There was no existing treatment plan. Hospitals and nurses and doctors were kind of making it up on the fly. So very early on in February, actually, there was a researcher at Oxford University, Martin Landre, who kind of saw this coming. You know, there were still only 20 cases in the UK at the time, but, you know, it was obvious that that number would soon grow by a lot. And of course it did. And so he was like, all right, we need to figure out what treatments work, but we need to do it in a kind of scientifically rigorous way. You know, he was somebody his whole life, his work had been like figuring out how to do big trials, big clinical trials, you know, using big data to try to answer really simple questions. And so he thought that that was a model that could work during COVID-19. Because like, at the end of the day, you just want to figure out is the patient living or is the patient dying? Like, that's the most important thing when you're in the (laughs) middle of an emergency. And so he started brainstorming this a little bit, and he reached out to somebody who runs a big medical charity in the UK. And this person advised him to get in touch with another researcher named Peter Horby. And Peter has actually been, for a long time, all the way back to the first SARS crisis at the beginning of the 2000s, he has been thinking about a a related but different problem, which is like, how do we run clinical trials in the middle of a crisis? You know, that's not a very easy thing to do. The whole process tends to move really slowly. You know, he gave the example of in prior outbreaks of, you know, it would take like three weeks to draft a plan for a clinical trial, and then it would sit in front of an ethics board for two more weeks, and suddenly like, you know, a couple months have gone by, and you don't really know anything more than you did before. And so those two got together, and they thought, all right, how can we set up a really big trial that just tries to answer a really simple question, which treatments help patients survive COVID-19, and how can we do it in a way that would be as scientifically rigorous as we can do under the circumstances. And so they came up with a model of how to do that. And then they kind of took their pitch to the NHS, which, as I imagine people know, but in case they don't, the UK has a single payer government run healthcare system where not only is everybody insured by the government, but the vast majority of hospitals are owned by the government, run by the government. You know, doctors are employees of the government. So it's this unified health system. And that was really appealing to them because it's like, all right, like we, you know, here in the U.S., if you wanted to run a trial like that, you'd have to like get a bunch of different hospital systems to coordinate with each other and agree to share data and all this kind of bureaucratic, all these bureaucratic obstacles would stand in your way with the recovery trial this program that they had dreamed up, they basically took the pitch to the heads because Wales, Northern Ireland, Scotland, and England have their own kind of NHS systems, but even though they're all connected. And so they took this pitch to them and said like, hey, we think we've got an idea about how to do this. Would you all be interested? And, you know, this again was when the pandemic was really starting to take off. NHS said yes. And this was about maybe, maybe a week period from when they first met to when they were like, drafting a proposal and pitching (laughs) NHS on it. And NHS was like, that sounds great. They sent out a letter to 
all of the hospitals in the country saying, like, we think this is really important um, and we'd really like you to participate. And by the end of it, today, you know, to date, they have enrolled more than 35,000 patients across 175 hospitals in these clinical trials. And what that's allowed them to do is like, you know, there have been some trials attempted in the U.S., but those trials were maybe enrolling like a couple hundred people. But like for the dexamethasone trial, you had thousands of patients. They had really big data sets to work with. So as soon as June of 2020, they were able to identify that, hey, it looks like dexamethasone does work for severely ill patients. They seem to be dying less frequently. And so they wrote up what they knew. They released it. And I mean, it literally seems like in a matter of hours in the UK, and I think almost as quickly in the rest of the world, dexamethasone became a part of the standard of care for COVID-19 for severely ill patients. And there was actually an estimate that just came out in March from the UK government that projected that about 1 million lives had been saved because of the use of dexamethasone around the world. So it's really a kind of stunning achievement in medical research to set up a trial this big, this quickly to get results that fast and for people to have the confidence in it that it became the standard of care all over the world in just a matter of months from the beginning of this trial getting dreamed up. And I remember when they said, you know, hey, this widely available, very cheap steroid dexamethasone could be a game changer, at least right now, while we were still heads were spinning everywhere trying to figure out how to treat this. And I remember when that came out, and you're right, in the United States, they did an emergency use authorization. Right away, they cleared it, and boom, right away, we're starting to put that into treatment. So in the end, I mean, they tried out nine repurposed drugs. They did a convalescent plasma one and then an antibody cocktail. But this was the successes that they came out with, dexamethasone and the other one, tocilizumab. Excuse me for butchering that. Yes, yeah. And, and those often are used together in treatment. The other big part of this, you know, you spoke about the collaboration between all the hospitals and everybody jumping on board, but the public also there in the UK, very willing to be part of these trials as well to help figure out what to do with it. And that's one of those things where, you know, you wonder how much, you know, the NHS is obviously just kind of baked into the social fabric of the UK and has been for a long time. And and people there love it for the most part, though there are certainly issues that come up. Uh, And so you wonder, you know, just having that level of trust between the patients and the health system, you wonder how much that kind of created this kind of buy-in for patients. And I I certainly wonder, I hope, but I do wonder how, whether we'd get the same kind of cooperation in the U.S. with our fractured health system and the level of distrust we tend to have in institutions here. But yeah, to your point, I mean, it was funny. I I talked to a patient who participated in the TOC, that's just what I'm going to call it, trial. And, you know, he was... (laughs) pretty sick. He was on he was on oxygen at the hospital and to him it was like it's a no-brainer. Like, you know, of you know, I'm sitting here, I'm sick, I feel horrible. You guys think you've got something that might make me feel better, then of course I'm going to do it. You know, it sounded like he didn't think too much about it. It's not like he was trying to be an altruist or anything like that. It was just like, yeah, sure. That makes sense to me. And I did think it was interesting, you know, one of the things you couldn't plan but that worked out really nicely was how quickly that dexamethasone result came in because I talked to one of the nurses who's administering the trial at a, at a hospital in Cornwall. And she said, you know, it was such a relief to her and just became so much easier to kind of pitch patients on the recovery trial because she could point to dexamethasone and say, like, through this program, we have 
already found something that works that's going to hopefully get you out of the hospital quicker and, and certainly make sure that you survive COVID-19. So we've already got that. We've already figured out one thing, and now we're trying to test all this other stuff to see if it would help. You know, would you like to participate? And so I think having that kind of proof point of like, this can work, like we can find stuff if, if people are willing to cooperate and take part, really probably proved valuable over the rest of the year because, of course, they have, as you said, they've continued to try more treatments. They right. still have a trial going now for the antibody cocktail that you mentioned, and it doesn't seem like they've had any trouble at all getting patients to enroll. The only issue, which is the best possible problem to have is that, you know, the UK has done pretty well on vaccinations. And so the number of hospitalizations has been going down, which means there's less patients available to participate in the trial. But like, if that's the problem that we're dealing with, then nothing could be better. Right. Right. And, and that's why I really enjoy these types of stories. You know, in the thick of it, it's hard to lose track of what's happening with these treatments and how we got them, you know, how we even found out that, hey, the steroid works and helps keep people out of the hospital. So now that we get an opportunity to look back at it, I like to kind of examine that part of it. How did we get here and the people that kind of brought us there and the, the trials that got us there too. And, you know, obviously the United States has been instrumental in vaccines and Pfizer and Moderna, the two that are the most effective right now in the landscape of vaccines that are out there. But treatments, you know, coming from the UK in the form of these trials were also very important. So I just really like to explore all of this. And, and the last thing, just to kind of that I wanted to, to focus on briefly, is these recovery trials were big and very simple. So as you mentioned, are people dying? Yes or no? Those are the simple questions. Some of the, the more precise things, you know, is would it be good for these subgroups, these people that have certain ailments? You don't really get to explore that that much, but at least in the quickness of it, in the emergency mode, we were able to get some good news out of all of it. I mean, there were undoubtedly some trade-offs. You lose some of that kind of refinement in the results because, yeah, you're like, you're just enrolling whoever happens to show up at the hospital. You know, you do have kind of a control group. You set one group aside as a control group. You treat the other group so you compare the two of those. But, like, that's about as far as, as it can go in terms of turning this into a truly random controlled experiment. And so, yeah, you're a little bit at the whim of whatever patients happen to show up. It's hard to, yeah, the Peter Horby gave the example of somebody at WHO asking about giving toke to a 70-year-old diabetic. And he was like, I can't answer that question. We did not study that specific subpopulation. And so that is the sacrifice you make. That's a trade-off you make. I think some of the people who've been, if not totally critical, at least maybe a little like, all right, let's, let's slow down and try to make sure that we're really confident about these results. Some of those people have certainly said, like, we need to be careful about how we present these results. We need to be transparent about what some of the uncertainty is. But even those folks will say, like, in the middle of an emergency, this is about as good of a program as we could have hoped to set up. You know, right. they use words like stellar to describe yeah. it. So, it, it, you know, I'm yet to really come across anybody who thinks like this is not a model for how we should handle treatment research during the next pandemic. Right. It came up with what we needed at that time. So all good news on that front. Dylan Scott, senior correspondent at Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this has been Reopening America. Don't forget that for today's big news stories, you can check me out on the Daily Dive podcast every Monday through Friday. So follow us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to steal a moment for yourself before the week ahead. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.